Good morning, everyone. I'm Randy Givens, head of the Energy Maritime Shipping Department here at Jefferies, and would like to welcome you to Capital Link's webinar series. Today's webinar is a live discussion with the CEO of NASDAQ-listed Grinrod Shipping Holdings, focusing on the dry bulk sector and obviously the, the development of Grinrod. So we'll touch on some of the broader industry issues as well as Grinrod's strategy. Our discussion will be around 40 to 45 minutes with some Q&A at the end, so you can submit questions via the webinar screen, or you can email your questions to questions at capitallink.com. With that, I'd like to introduce our guest, Martin Wade, CEO of Grinrod. Thanks so much for joining us, Martin. Absolutely. My pleasure, Randy, and great to be here. Excellent. So if you can just give us a brief two to three minute kind of intro of yourself and Grinrod Shipping Holdings, uh, for those who maybe aren't familiar, uh, and then we'll dump in, jump into uh, some questions. Thanks, Randy. Uh, yeah, we're an owner-operator. Uh, we own 23 ships. We have another eight uh, on long-term charter, all with options, most with purchase options. We're in the handy super ultramax space. And when I say operator, we've been trading operating cargo for over 40 years. So we are a genuine, uh, we, uh, we trade our ships a percentage in our own business and obviously are on the market. So always trying to maximize the returns. Uh, we were part of a South African company. We got spun out uh, three years ago, listed on, on the NASDAQ. We're Singapore domiciled, uh, listed on the NASDAQ, and also dual listed on, on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. It has been a little bit of a complicated structure. When we came to market, we had 19 ships in joint venture. Now we have none. So we have kind of tidied the structure up, made it uh, more uh, more understandable. And, uh, and yeah, it's been a tough uh, tough few years but the market is now obliging uh, my background quickly 44 years in, in the business worked for uh, owners brokers operators in london johannesburg new york uh, and now singapore um so see, seen all aspects of it all markets from uh, the rubbish all the way to the glorious and all the way back down again um i'm a director of the uk bni club a director of the uk defense club Director of BIMCO, representing Singapore, and also on the Singapore Maritime Foundation. So uh, huh. uh, a lot of interesting people. And, and, and the whole thing about this business is it tends to be, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and be able to lean on people and, and work out, try and work out what the markets are doing. It's a, it's a fun business. It always is fun. But at the moment, yeah, we're smiling. Yeah, I can imagine. And 44 years, I guess you uh, joined in kindergarten. So congrats on that um, early joining. Straight from school. Straight from there school. There you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you're focused in the handy size, the Supras, the Ultramaxes, extremely competitive, even with cape sizes today. Right. And in recent weeks, pretty much all have been around and over 30,000 a day. So somewhere between 30 and 34,000 a day. Right. So what is driving this kind of elevated and really tight range for spot rates across all the asset classes? And then maybe more specifically for the midsize uh, assets, What's really driving their performance? Um, and is it certain demand drivers, certain commodities, certain routes? Because it's pretty remarkable to see them, for a time, they are outperforming CAPE sizes, and even now, within, I don't know, 10% of CAPEs. Interesting. I'd actually argue that the 37s, uh, as uh, we're now fixing ships in the 40s, $40,000 a day, are, are starting to outperform the CAPEs. It's interesting. Across the spectrum, it's genuine demand. Uh, Q1 or Q end of Q1 last year into Q2, Obviously, with Corona, the world stopped. We always thought it would recover, and it has bounced back. And 
you look at a lot, lot, lot of the latest commodity figures and it's difficult to uh, compare shipping demand year on year because last year was so depressed. But we're now seeing reports that we're back to 2019 levels. In case of China, steel exports is back to 2017 levels. So the world has caught up. But with this, we're seeing an awful lot of demand, an awful lot of long haul business that uh, in, in, in an, in an old market, poor market, ships tend to trade Atlantic or Pacific. And if you want to get from, from the Pacific to the Atlantic, you always took an absolute bath to get there. Now, it's the same rate, whether it's front haul, back haul. And so ships are steaming an awful lot further. There's a lot of steel and, and generals moving from Asia. We're undoubtedly helped by the container market. Uh, it's, it's hard. I don't like containers. I was around when more or less they first started invented and bulk began going into containers and it's it's annoying where you get steel scrap, everything going in containers. We're now, that's coming back out again. And it's interesting. And uh, you, you see scrap, we're seeing scrap cargoes we haven't seen in 10, 15, 20 years. And uh, it's, uh, it's increasing. Places like Turkey, up, up 3 million tons in, in, in the first half of this year. Uh, people right. say it's only 3 million tons. Yeah, 500,000 tons a month, all from the continent, all on supermaxes. So a lot of ships, and this is what we're seeing. We're seeing trades we haven't seen in a long, long time coming back. And a lot of them tend to be very long haul. So it really is stretching the fleet. Okay. And yeah, clearly there's been, you know, a major focus on the major bulks, right? Iron ore, coal, what China's doing with their steer production, what Vale's doing with their iron ore um, production. So can you give us maybe some insight on the minor bulks uh, and some of the ag trade? You know, what are your demand expectations for these products? in the back half of this year into 2022. I know there's some seasonality involved, but if you can touch on some of the minor bulks in the ag products. It was interesting because I, I think to a degree on the smaller sizes, it, it was the agricultural products that kick-started it last year where China had the biblical floods in, in, in Q2 into Q3. And it became apparent that a lot of their crops had been wiped out. The, 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 the official argument was, oh, don't worry, we have huge stockpiles. In reality, I think we all discovered that those stockpiles weren't there. So they've been buying grain. Like, well, I, I can only rival it to, to, to when the Russians came in in 1986 after Chernobyl and began buying, buying off America. It's record amounts, and they continue to do that. You see all their latest soybean figures for the first half of the year, up three, four million tonnes. So this is continuing. But I think this also spreads around the world now after Corona. And I keep on saying it, we don't have just-in-time stockpiles, we have just-in-case. So I think an awful lot of countries now are having to, uh, to, to have, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to keep people fed. If you don't keep people fed, you've got a problem. So th this is the first start. And then, of course, putting people back, back to work. So I, I, we're pretty confident. The forecast always was for the grain trace to increase steadily. But I think from Corona, we really had quite a, a kick from that. And that look, looks to be continuing. And then you add in, you know, yes, China producing steel, but it's now exporting steel once more. Um, yes, you, you've got the major bulks, but with the disconnection with, with China not buying coal from Australia, fantastic. So they're now getting it from the latest figures, the US and Canadian exports of coal in, in, in Q2. Fantastic. That's genuine ton sea miles. Yeah. And so, of course, yeah. Australian coal became cheap. So they start selling into India which uh, tends to be a super ultramax uh, business. That displaces South Africa, traditional markets, so they sell to China. So all in all, it, it's kind of feeding on. It, it, it's almost a perfect uh, scenario happening at the moment, overlaid with, with, with the demand coming out of containers. So yeah. it is genuine. And of course, we don't have any new buildings. 
the handies always traditionally there was never any money in, in yards building handies so this has been a, a bit neglected and yes our 37s are other stars but the 28s and 33s i mean when you're fixing 28s at $28,000 a day you can't complain yeah i can imagine i can imagine um let, let's touch on two more macro questions one is China, um, steel production, trying to maybe curtail some pollution and, and emissions and all these other things. So can you touch on that and how big of a threat is that maybe to iron ore trade? And obviously that trickles down from the capes to the smaller asset classes as well. But I know that's been getting a lot of press and a lot of client attention is kind of the concern around Chinese steel production and curtailment there. It's interesting because, of course, all, all the figures uh, – Q1, Q2, China's steel production, absolute record. But also what's so important is global steel production outside of China is at mm. record levels. So there is genuine demand there. And, and I think the pollution with China, it, it gets back to taking higher quality iron ore, higher quality coal. Uh, and steel is such an important part of, of their economy. And ultimately you're employing people. And, and the one thing after Corona is that, you know, with the furlough schemes, I think you have to pe keep people working. So we're not that concerned. Yes, obviously, if China slows down, it, it does have a knock-on effect. But elsewhere in the world, I mean, obviously now China, we've got the issue with, with, with localised lockdowns and is, is this going to happen? I mean, I saw a figure the other day, there's 50.5 million deadweight of ships tied up in China. It, it's, it's the biggest amount since 2013. And that's all in congestion, delays. So there's a whole load of factors playing in here. So... Yes, China can slow down. You know, last month's iron ore figures were down when everyone was going, oh, my God, it's off 12 million tons. But until you compare it to the year before, it was up. So right. it's I think at times China continues. I think that there's a level they have to stay at. So I think people trying to second guess China. You can't. And ultimately, the Communist Party is, is going to keep people working, the mills working. And uh, yes, they will do everything on, on, on the uh, on green issues. But. They also need to keep people employed in industry. So we're, yeah. we're not overly concerned by that. Okay. And then one more macro question. Um, you know, you, you're seeing a lot of headlines, especially here in the U.S., around infrastructure bills and spending um, a trillion dollars, whatever it might be, $2 trillion, you know, whoever knows the number. Um, how does that going to impact kind of the, the trade for cement and bauxite and minor bulks and kind of dry commodities uh, here in the U.S.? If only, oh my word, if, if America starts on a little bit of infrastructure, it's fantastic. Yeah, we're already seeing a, a lot of steel. I mean, there's 10 to 12 shipments a month going from uh, South Korea in, 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 into the States. Uh, there's another three or four going from Taiwan and, uh, and Vietnam and places. So I think that the steel, I mean, your, your steel price is the highest in the world. I mean, you're 400 bucks higher than Europe, which doesn't make sense, and twice over twice the price of China. So I think kind of needs must. But if you go back to Hurricane Katrina and what happened with the market there, where, you know, the American government then really did start rebuilding the amount of cement that, that went. And if you're going to buy cement, there's only one country effective in the world, that's China. And it's tons sea miles. And that really took the market at that time to the next level. So any kind of infrastructure spending is going to be very positive. And, uh, you know, having lived in America and gone there a lot, I, I keep my fingers crossed that, that we can start a modicum of this because I think it's going to be very, very interesting for uh, all aspects of dry bulk. Sure. Yeah, being, being from New Orleans, I know all too well about Katrina, uh, but uh, yes. side note. 
Um, all right. So I guess looking more directly at Grinrod and maybe your fleet, the vast majority of your vessels are Japanese. You've stated several times kind of that access to key Japanese industrial financial players. How is that a competitive advantage for Grin and kind of what are your benefits there for this Japan focused strategy? But well, obviously, this is this has gone back 25 years now, where uh, when the original Island View decided to get involved in in ship chartering, long term chartering, went to Japan, and, and we've developed the Japanese build the best ships. They uh, they are the most eco. That the design that 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 is fact. So we kind of modelled our whole uh, business model on on buying Japanese chartering. You get the flexibility. It takes an awful lot of hard work. Uh, now, I, I've been going there until recently, four or five times a year. You go there, and it's a lot of sake, a lot of karaoke. Uh, when my family have been there for ship launches, the girls just shake their heads and go, you've got to be kidding me, Dad, you can't sing. And then I get a round of applause. I said, how was it? They said, you were shouting. I go, all right. It works. And, and once you become friends there, it is so important. And from that has, has come whereby we now have Japanese bank financing, where the banks approached us. It's, it's a long-term game in Japan. You know, you listen, you're patient. I've sat on so many sofas for 10, 15 minutes, go back three months later, and then they say, oh, maybe we should have a lunch. Would you like to do a deal? It just takes time. They're, they're always kind of assessing you and, and weighing you up. So that's given us that access. And then the last couple of years, we've done uh, some amazing sale and charter back deals with incredibly uh, low interest rates where the, the Japanese owners are looking for uh, to, to defer tax. And so they mm -hmm. then pick the right counterparty. and as they always put us up there ourselves, ultra bulk, fed now, there aren't many that haven't ever renegotiated or changed their minds or altered deals. And we, right. we guard that and, and we get it back. And last June, July, when we took the view that the market was going to recover, we went to Japan, booked half a dozen ultra maxes for one option one year. Uh, the Japanese were happy to do it. Uh, they started delivering at the end of 20 into, into 2021. Now, the base rate on those ships is nine, $10,000 a day. I mean, you, you pinch yourself now, but this is where it comes in. You, you say, we'd like to do a deal. At the time, it was the market, and they trust implicitly because we've always you know, honored everything. So it, it's an incredibly valuable relationship, especially in shipping these days where relationships aren't necessarily doing a handshake. It's not like the old days, but with Japan, you can. Wow, okay. And then staying on your fleet, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, you recently announced that the company's acquiring the remaining, I think, 31% or so equity stake in the IVS bulk joint venture. So now your ownership is 100% uh, on all dozen of those vessels. So this has certainly been a major objective. I remember speaking with you um, at a conference a few years ago and saying that was a, a big strategy of yours. So what does this mean now in terms of operational and financial performance for GRIN? And then further, how did you weigh this option versus growing the fleet via secondhand uh, acquisitions? And, and how do those vessels compare against what you can find in the S&P market? We, we obviously always knew that, that, that our first partner regiment uh, uh, we bought out uh, in early 2020. And we always knew that Sankati Bain Capital at some point would, would, would want out, but they wanted to see the market develop. And, and the values obviously did recover. And so when they came and, and said in, in April, we, we'd, li we'd like to uh, kind of get out, we said, fine, we had a view of the market. Obviously, it was pegged at, at early May values. So I don't want to say too much, but we're sitting here now. 
yeah, with, with, with very good uh, appreciation. And when we actually consummate the deal, hopefully in the next few weeks, we'd have basically had all the earnings from the 1st of May. So it, it's, it's been very, very beneficial. Um, it was a no brainer for us because of course, Randy, we, we ordered these ships from new with, with some of our own spec on board. So, so we knew the ships, we knew how they perform. And even going back then, uh, we'd have been hard pressed to have picked up, uh, you know, four, four ships at the kind of levels, you know, we, we did market levels, but as we would know with market levels, you know, if you're a seller, you look at market level and add on 10, 15%, 10 buyers turn up and suddenly that's the new market level. So we, we, we did think long and hard and, and internally we had to justify it to the board, but uh, with, with hindsight, it was a no brainer and we were always going to pick them up. Obviously, if, if our partners had turned around in who knows, two years from now, who knows it would have been, you know, but, but at the time they wanted out, it'd have been a great relationship. And uh, so it, it was good. And it's, it's the ships we have, it's the ships we know, you know, trading them and we're very happy. Okay. And then stay on your fleet one more time. Part of your strategy is to charter in vessels, right? For a short or, or long term. You have those eight supermaxes under long-term chartering agreements with the purchase options on a number of them. What does this mean in terms of valuation, purchase options, operational results? What are the plans for those? It's always interesting, the, the long-term charters, where for years we were crucified. Oh, you've got these deals, you've got these deals, 12, 13,000. Yeah, yeah, okay, well, we've got them, we've got purchase options. Yeah, but they're, you know, on a five-year-old ship, $18 million, you've got to be kidding me. Um, yeah, right, okay, five-year-old ship now, $27, 28000000 million, okay. 13,000, 12,000 as base levels. Uh, yep, thank you. Um, it was always there. Yes, it, obviously the market has helped, but we always had a strategy. You need a core fleet, a uh, mixture of owned and, and chartered. Obviously chartered, you're using someone else's balance sheet, but also be because we have, at times we have some dedicated business. We've deliberately only got our long-term business now. We deliberately didn't take any other cargo middle of last year, but you need those ship ships to perform. It's high value commodity. You have a lot of index link contracts, so we're not exposed to the market. And if you're carrying high value commodities with blue chip charters, they expect performing trips. It's as simple as that. So um, th th those ships, yes, it it's a nice position to be in. We we've got five older handers, owned very little uh, debt on them. Obviously the values are up. Can we sell them down the line? Do, do we exercise the purchase options? Do we flip or do we take these ships in to be core, core in our fleet? Well, that market will dictate that. But it is a very nice position to, to have been in whereby, you know, a few years ago, we probably couldn't have dreamt it would be at these levels. Now it's a nice position. Yeah. As my CFO always says he's, uh, he's spent years wondering where he's going to get the money from. Now he's trying to work out how he's going to spend the money. It's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll we'll get to the the, the uses of cash in a, in a little bit, but um, when do those charter options kind of come to fruition? When can you either flip them or purchase them? We we've got a, a couple of them already that uh, we've had now for a couple of years, so that we, we we can exercise. And obviously, on some of them, they are depreciating uh, as we talk, uh, and there are a couple of others that will uh, in the middle of, of next year that will come. Yeah. And obviously. These were all done a long time ago at values at the time. So now with, with a new building Ultramax at the moment in Japan, 35 million. I mean, handers are pushing 30. So wow. the, the, these are in the money. So uh, so it, we, we have that flexibility. Like any good market, if you do decide to sell, you can never get out of the top. You've got to be selling to someone else who still has the dream. 
So it, yep. it is a matter of working it out. But I think a number of those ships will become our core fleet. And, and of course, with ESG going forward, if we do that. I mean, our oldest ship would be 14 years. So we'd have a very, very modern fleet. I think that is so important with, with the way the world is going forward. Sure. Yeah. And then to those on the line, I see your questions. I think we have seven or eight right now. So keep those coming. Uh, I'll be sure to work those in um, during the Q&A and then at the end. Um, next question for me. Grinrod, you know, has a very active cargo operation. You're running two pools, uh, a handy size pool and then a super ultra pool. How do these pools kind of impact your operations and profitability? Well, the pools now, the obviously the, the Supermax Ultramax was because we had the Sankati and originally Regiment in there. So that now falls away. So it's 100% our own ships. Uh, okay. And on, on the hand is uh, we're down to one externally managed Japanese ship. It's always the case with the Japanese. We're trusted in times of bad. They'll put the ships with us because a pool obviously outperforms. When the market picks up, a number of those Japanese owners have withdrawn the ships and sold them or go for fixed employment. We get off with some of them we've taken. They always offer them to us as fixed employment. So that has gone away. On the cargo, yeah, we still have uh, probably a 10% cover with cargo. Uh, but very specifically last year, we just weren't interested in, in booking other cargo. It's purely our core. Because as we've seen with the market now, you know, you, you put cargo last year at 10 grand, you're paying ships 40 grand now. Yeah, you can lose money pretty quickly. So I think when you get a market like this, you really have to say, right, we're going to be long of ships and we're going to enjoy this market and uh, let's see how it takes us. Okay. And as you mentioned, right, asset values have gone up dramatically here, uh, especially year to date. Steel prices going through the roof, berth capacity is very tight. Obviously, the earnings uh, that you can get on a ship are elevated. So Reflecting on that, you know, uh, is it still attractive to invest in second hands or new buildings? Um, what would your focus be? And if it was on new buildings, what kind of vessel would you buy, right, with all of the, un uh, the uncertainty uh, around emissions and propulsion and regulation? Can you give some insight on that? I think we, we, no, no way new buildings. You just can't do it because... Also, as an owner, the thing I learned many years ago from, from a Greek friend was that as an owner, you have to let see, see what, the, uh, what the general, everyone's building, do not be the first at the, the front of the queue because you're either very, very wrong or chances are very, very, uh, sorry, very, very right or very, very wrong. And you go back to the 70s where they had steam gas turbine engines. My God, the people went bust. So I think you have to watch and wait. The world is going to change. Is it going to be hydrogen? Uh, is it ammonia? We'll have to wait and see. The world ha has enough ships at the moment, secondhand. Still to invest, we're, we're a little cautious at the moment, but then again, having the purchase options, we, we have that ability to, uh, to, to, to look at them. So I think you have to be a little cautious now. And we've only just started. I, I, as I, you know, we were on was Marine Money a little while ago, I, I think with Magnus from 2020, I think asset prices are going an awful lot higher as we're seeing a lot of the Greeks buying uh, with, with, with a with a two-year rate on an Ultramax now for a Japanese one, 24, 25,000, you're buying a six, seven-year-old one of these at 22 to 23 million. I mean, the cash is, is phenomenal. So yep. asset values are still very underpriced against rising new building prices due to steel prices, due to the lack of labor. And thankfully, all the liner boys, container boys have filled the yards. Thank you very much. It's, it's similar to what happened in, in the 2000s where... Trust me, after two years of a good market, all the lemmings put in the dry would have gone to the yards ordered. They couldn't. There was no capacity. Now, yes, yeah. there is capacity, but 
ESG finance. It, it, it's 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 good. It, it's 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 real discipline at the moment. Who knows? You know, another twelve months of this, and, and we'll see what happens. But for the next couple of years, order book looks very very manageable, and uh, we're very comfortable. Okay. So yeah, we we talked about the demand drivers. We talked just now about supply and the very low order book, very low you know fleet growth, especially the back of this year, 2022, really into 2023 for that matter. So I guess operationally, environment, what is the kind of biggest risk um, to the thesis? Is it demand-driven? Is it further COVID lockdowns? Um, what could go wrong here? You know, why, why aren't rates uh, going to stay at these levels for the next 18 months? I think they could stay at these levels or could go higher. The, the thing about shipping, it, it never stays at a level, does it? There's always volatility. Sure, um, sure. What can go What's wrong? What's the downside risk? Yeah. Yeah. I've got to assume it is COVID, Corona, um, if we were to get general lockdowns. But as I say, I think the world has learned to a degree they have to live with it. And uh, what happened before, obviously, we know a lot more about the uh, the virus now. Uh, and I think, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's I don't want to attempt it. But at the moment, we never saw Corona coming. At the moment, all things considered, this looks like a genuine uh, demand led market with no new buildings coming. So, yeah, we're always wary, always watching. But, yeah, I wouldn't like, I mean, is it like a green event? Is something going to happen? But but the world needs commodities at the moment, as we're seeing. And, and, and shipping is the one to, to it, it, it's, you know, surprised me, you know, we're not our own share price, but others, whereby everyone's getting excited about commodities. But there's only one asset class that carries these things, and that's us. Yep. So yep. the demand is there. So I don't want to jinx it, but... Um, yeah, I can't at the moment off the top of my head, apart from if the pandemic was to really kind of take a turn for the worse and get out, get out of hand. But, uh, but even then, people have still got to be fed, which is grain, which is the small ships, and to a degree yeah. employed. Yeah. Fair. Quietly confident. Okay, noted. Uh, I can tell. Uh, going back to kind of Grinrod specifically, right? You've been reporting on a semi-annual basis um, for a long time. Uh, and as recently announced, you're now going to quarterly basis, which you know I, I certainly recommend and applaud here, um, bringing you in line with your your other U.S. listed peers. So, what kind of drove this decision? Was it regulatory? Was it an effort to maybe attract new investors? Um, and what challenges has this transition maybe presented? Uh, and how's the process going? It was purely because, as I say, we came to market with a very uh, complex structure. And we've been trying to simplify. And the first time, uh, you know, I met you was in, in the States with, with my CFO, Steve. Everyone was saying you're too complicated. I mean, the whole scenario and you're not quarterly, you're invisible. So we had to work on this. But we also wanted to be damn sure that when we do go quarterly, we got all the systems in, in place. And yes, it has been a bit of a, should we say, dragging a few people over the line. But, but we are there now very much to be more, you know, US centric, focused, in line with all our peers. And, and, and going from there. So it has taken us a, a bit too long. Obviously, with Corona last year, that didn't help. We, we were going to look to do it last year. And, and then we thought, well, well, let's see because of the uncertainty. But very much, you know, we, we are an asset listed company. That's where we want to be. So we have to make ourselves as understandable as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that meeting fondly. Um, I was saying, oh, you have these dry bulk vessels, you have tankers, you have a lot of these joint <laughs> ventures, you have semi annual earnings. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I okay, yeah. Right. okay. All right, all right. But you fix <laughs> those things. You fix those things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm saying, look how far Greenrod has come. Um, so very nice. Um, two more questions for me, then I'll get to the 11 or 12, sorry, uh, questions now that we've got uh, from those on the line. So last two for me. Your primary listing is on NASDAQ. You have that secondary listing on the JSE in South Africa. Uh, when you got listed in June of 2018, I believe, all your shareholders were holding JSE shares. You, so you, you described in the past that those shares bought on the JSE could seamlessly kind of convert into NASDAQ shares. How has your U.S. shareholding base kind of developed since that listing three years ago? It's been tough because, of course, when we came to market, what we'd like to have done would have been if the market had been there, would have been an equity raise and we could have got more, more, more on the NASDAQ. So without that, um, we're now up to close on 25%. Uh, so it's getting better. For us, it's very important. Our board knows that we need more shares on the NASDAQ because the, the, the NASDAQ volume is, is five to 10 times the JSE volume and the price is set by the NASDAQ. So, you know, the volume is better. We, we've had some spectacular days and initially it was the Robin Hood boys all piling in. We get, all get very excited and then, oh, we're back where we started at the end of the day. Now it seems to, to be more genuine, but we're also very aware that uh, we have investors, funds out there that maybe would like to, to, to buy shares, but if they want to buy one or 2%, they can't take a month of Sundays to do it. They've got to be able to go in and also they want to get out. So it's something we're very, very aware of and we're working very hard on. And I think the way the market's going, shares, price, you'll get more sellers in, in, in South Africa that can be seamlessly uh, moved over. And we know of one or two uh, US-based investors that are doing that, just hoovering them up there. And then it's a matter of simple paperwork, get migrated across and move on. Great. All right, last question for me, then I'll turn it over to those on the line. Um, after pretty much a rough decade, right? I joined Jeffries in May of 2011. Um, and it's, it's obviously been 10 years and there's been some good times, but it's been pretty, uh, rough, uh, overall that said now dry bulk is back to profitability, right? Your demand drivers are very firm supplies in a great place. The balance sheets for pretty much all of these companies, yourself included, um, is in the best shape it's been in a decade. So with that, we know you've yet to report your two Q21 results. Uh, I think that's coming in a few weeks here. So maybe not specific on profitability, but obviously it's, it's probably safe to assume with the rates you're throwing out that 2Q is going to be good and 3Q is looking even better. So with that, we've seen a, a number of dry bulk companies initiating some new dividend policies. Uh, we've seen some buying ships. We've seen some do tender offers, share repurchases, whatever it may be. So your actions, the strong market, you know, what are your priorities here around capital allocation? Is it to further repay debt, to pay a dividend, to repurchase shares, to buy ships, all of the above? Kind of if you can discuss those kind of capital allocation priorities. We're flexible. I mean, I'm old school. I do like the Greek model of having no debt. Um, I'm not saying we're going to go there, but you have to have a manageable debt level. We're now in that position where the cash is coming in. And... Uh, to be able to reduce our repayments down a little bit, that, that would be good. Um, but, but like all dividend policies, at the end of the day, it's like a lot of our peers. If it's not reflected in, in the share price, it, it's how, how we balance between generous dividends and, and the share. So it's something that as a board, we are sitting back and we're smiling and 
I think it's probably all, more or less everything you say. We, we could, we're in a, a great position. And it's a matter of how we use it, bearing in mind that markets can change and you don't want to be leaving yourself short down the line or you just... I, I view this as a great opportunity after 10 years. To us, when we, were, when we were spun out, we probably had too much debt and there were other issues. We're now in a position where that doesn't exist. So we have to use this as all shipping companies. Let's not get carried away. Make yourself sustainable. Uh, and, and yes, it's, it's at a cost base. I know that John at Genco has said about reducing debt. And I think we're a combination where you, you've, you've got to be in the game irrespective and, and go forward from there. But we are going to be, let, let's see. I mean, the market goes up another 10, 15,000. Hey, then you, you're right. It, it's the balance. Well, we, we're watching with interest what our peers are doing and, and we're very much going to be in line. But uh, it's, it's happy times, Rand. It's happy times. Sure. Yes, it's a <laughs> good problem to have. Uh, too much cash, right? Um, but yeah, it's been kind of crazy seeing the, these new dividends, policies being announced, earnings going where they are, rates going where they are. Yet the equities, uh, especially in the last month, have really been selling off. So um, um, my guess is that earnings season, obviously this week's very busy with numerous dry bulk companies coming out, your results coming out in a few weeks. Three Q quarter to date rates are going to be very big, dividend announcements, all these other things. That should kind of boost shares. But um, let's get to some Q&A here. Let me pull up the list. I know a lot of these we've already answered, but uh, I'll ask a few of them anyway. Um, okay. First question, can you maybe address some conditions in China? The market is projecting right now that China is shutting down, right, due to the Delta variant. What conditions are you experiencing there? It's very much localized. Um, what, what we're seeing, uh, we're hearing nothing about a national lockdown there. And being China, it gets very targeted that they can close whole cities or, or lock up towns very, very quickly. So um what happened uh in uh was it february march last year we don't think that's going to happen i say there's far more understanding and the delta variant and also the figures yes i mean you don't want to get this thing but the mortality rates uh people getting it and i think the chinese are clever enough to have to work this one out so it could be very much uh, in certain areas as we saw with shenzhen uh was it a month six weeks ago what it did to the container market there uh, it, it could actually, in, in a funny way, shipping is always a funny business. We kind of thrive on disaster. It sounds terrible, but it, it is the nature of the... So I, I think, uh, never say never, but I don't think it's going to affect... I, I think people are reading maybe a little bit too much into it because the Chinese are very, very capable at uh, sorting this kind of problem out. Sure. And and to be clear, you are seeing Grinrod ships going in and out of China today or this week. Yes, and we, we still do dry dockings. We have to be very careful in terms of planning ahead, because you don't, don't want the 14 day dry docking. But no, right. it, it tends to be localized. And the Chinese with, with the right information, you, you, you can be ahead of it, what's gonna happen and try and avoid it, yeah. Okay, um, quickly on this one, I think we already answered it, but for the JV interest, you were able to lock in asset values based on the April, May values, correct? And are there any issues that still need to be negotiated on that uh, roll in? No, it, it, it's, it's all signed and we're just sorting out the, uh, the, the, the finance, we had a mixture of bank and cash at, at the moment, which is basically, it's, it's just now paperwork. So that, that should all be resolved in, in the next few weeks. Okay. And then uh, here, interesting about the elimination of the front versus backhaul differences. How does that impact your cargo book and your ability to generate TCE rate outperformance? We've 
always had, we, our, our backyard is the Indian Ocean. We, we trade internationally, but we've traditionally had the Indian Ocean. So we, we tend to operate on that. And, uh, and I say, we have a lot of index linked contracts, so we are not exposed to the market. And yes, I mean, we, we're taking trips on, on, on short period to cover it. But if we know that what the first couple of legs are, then what we, we're seeing fantastically is we have the optionality where you end up having performed the minimum period you still have another three or four months. And the way the market's moved, you're actually 10 or 15,000 below the market once more. So we can capitalize on it. So it, it's a nice position to be in, but we're not taking any risks or, or booking anything at city levels. Yeah, where you know, the Pacific is stronger than the Atlantic and, and where, where, where you're getting backhaul from, from the Pacific at 35, 40,000 into the Atlantic. Yeah, there, there must be some people being killed on that. But we've deliberately okay. stuck, to, stuck to our knitting where we want to do it and, and minimizing the risk. We, we, we use our own ship to position into South Africa and on, on into the Atlantic accordingly. And as I say, where we do take ships in, it's fine, but it's calculated. And, uh, and, and at times, as we're seeing now, you know, we, we have the optionality at the end, which is glorious. Yep. All right. Grinrod charters in some additional tonnage to expand operating leverage, flexibility. How helpful has this strategy been in the recent high TCE rate environment? And on the other hand, what's your approach to maybe locking in some TCE rates at levels that appear to be you know, well above average? Are you looking at kind of any time charter outs here? Well, obviously, we're, being an out-and-out owner-operator, we're always in the market for ships. So basically, especially Indian Ocean and areas we track. So we're always seeing what ships every owner, you know, the brokers will come along, this ship's interested in period at this level. So we, we're always looking at the whole time, whether we can then arbitrage against our own ships, taking someone else's ship. That's ongoing. Um, in terms of fixing out, um, not at the moment. Uh, it's interesting, you go back to 2003, where the market took off there. And I got caught, a lot of people got caught because every time there was a hiccup, you kind of almost panic. Oh, it's over, it's over, it can't last. Learned from this one where we started this one, I think it's genuine. So we are basically trading more than 100% spot because the, the levels we're at, our cost base is so good in relation to the market. And yes, there will be a time to, to take cover, but the discount on cover to, to spot earnings is pretty meaningful. So the moment we are still preferring, uh, every now and then, well, if someone comes along and offers one of our ultras 35,000 for four to six months, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll take the odd one out. But basically, the whole fleet is trading spot, and, and we're thoroughly in, enjoying that. And, uh, and at a time, it will be a matter of when it is, when do we want to take cover? As usual, taking cover, you've got to trust the counterparty. Are you going to get up with the daisy chains where you have eight or 10 people in it as it gets relet, relet, relet? And of course, when it all goes wrong, it all comes back, oh, the most bankable in the chain. You've got to be very, very careful. Cargo again, we can book cargo, take cover, but will the guys renege on it? I mean, it's exactly as it was in the past. So we would yep. rather have control wherever possible of our own ships. And the people we do trust tend to be our out and out competitors and vice versa. And they're not going to take our ships and we're not going to take their ships. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a okay. fairly limited pool of people we trust, sadly. But uh, at some point, we will. If, if, if the Japanese were to start coming in for ships and who we trust, that would be interesting. But at the moment, we're enjoying running spot. Okay. All right, we got three questions in one here. Um, contrary to history, we're seeing a large focus on shareholder returns, very attractive payout policies emerging in the sector, Starbuck, Genco, for example. Can we expect Grinrod to follow this trend to the same extent throughout the top of the cycle? Second part, 
what is your ballpark estimate for green rods NAV? Third part, how do you view share repurchases at these levels? Uh, well, let's ask it reverse. So share repurchases at these levels, we, we, we did some and then stopped. We're in a close period, so we have to abide by the rules. But uh, uh, yeah, at these kind of levels, uh, NAV, we, we don't publish it, but it's an awful lot higher. We are probably trading at a bigger discount than anyone else, especially with a Japanese fleet, you can benchmark and some of the values I, I've been talking. So, so yeah, I mean, from uh, if our share price wasn't to react, we would have to potentially look at that because, yeah, it, it's annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in terms of the dividend policy, we're going to try and be flexible. Yes, it obviously depend on how much we're making and it'd be balanced. And to be honest, we, we want to make it sustainable. You don't want this kind of couple of quarters whoopee and then suddenly there's a hiccup. So what we want to do is have something that shareholders, it might be variable, but at least they know if we're making money, they're getting returns. And the market Perfect. stays up, yeah. All right, next question here. Do you foresee or expect any seasonality this year? Uh, what's your outlook for fourth quarter 21 and first quarter 22? And I'll add a little bit of color here. I was looking at the forward curve for those kind of periods. And pretty much in every asset class, you see a big drop-off, right, from fourth quarter rates on the FFA curve to the first quarter rates of 2022. Clearly, the FFA curve is showing to a lot of seasonality. What's your thoughts on kind of expected seasonality in the next six months? Well, we're now going into traditionally the strongest part of the year. I mean, I still hope that happens because, of course, we didn't have a Chinese New Year this, this year. So we, we went all the way through Q1. Q2's been very good. Um, it's shaping the, the way it is into being a very good Q3 in, into Q4. Million dollar question. Um, Chinese New Year next year, but with what's going on at the moment, uh, can I say that will they be, will they allow 800 million people to, to go off again or will they do exactly what they did this year? I suspect there'll be an element of control because this thing is still around. So we expect it to come off. I mean, the, the, the paper's fine, but the paper's just sentiment. You know, people are always kind of, it must come off, it must come off. And as we're seeing now, as the paper rises, more, more people are buying in, into the market. But, but yes, I mean, we, we bought some paper as a hedge uh, for next year, some months ago, and thank you very much. It's too cheap. And then you go into 2023, where Supermax paper is, what, 13 and a half. I mean, it's nuts. But it, it is what it is. So I think people are very much concentrating on, on, on the short term. Um, but yes, all eyes on Q1 2022. Will the Chinese let 800 million people go home? I have my doubts again. So maybe, just maybe, we uh, it might not be the for the second year running the, the normal. We, to be honest, back in the 2000s, we never saw a massive. There was at times there was you know, a bit of a sell-off, but at the peak of the market, it, it was pretty healthy all the way through. Okay, a few more and, questions. And sorry, to be honest, if, if the market was to come off 10 grand from today, okay, we're only earning 25 grand a day. Okay, all right, we'll put up with it. Got it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. A um, few questions here just for clarification. Percent of ships that are exposed to spot, you said almost 100%? Yeah, I, would, I think we probably got about 10% cover overall, so 90% AC trading spot, yeah. Okay. Uh, are the purchase options set, or is the price negotiated once you exercise the option? Uh, always set in, in the charter party, be it, be it dollars or a combination of yen and dollars, and generally, uh, some of them are depreciating, and and of course, with with the with with, with the dollar, the yen at one hundred and ten, it, it, it's quite good. 
uh, others are, are fixed in dollars and every year will will, will come down so uh, but no it's fixed at the time of the charter and the owners these days always pick it at, at a level you never they, they never think we'll declare the option at now of course it, it's uh, yeah strange things have happened yeah okay um, someone else here asking around I didn't hear the answer to Grin's NAV I'll answer that for you. Um, he says it's a greater discount than peers. Peers are at 20 to 30% discount. So um, you can infer that it's much higher than that uh, in terms of their NAV relative to the $11 share price. Um, is normalization of relations between Australia and China a big risk? Yes, wouldn't want that to happen just yet. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, uh, and you can see what China's now doing uh, with uh, Australian iron ore imports in, uh, in, in Q2, 4 million tonnes down. They are trying to, they can't get away from that, but they are trying to shift away. I think this has gone so far now whereby it becomes a matter of principle and, and is one country going to back down? Um, yes, I don't think they can stay enemies forever, but, but at the moment it's working quite well. And, and to be honest, I think China, we know China, I mean, Chinese... Uh, Thermal electricity generation is what seventy six percent this year. Uh, it's breaking all records. They need the coal. So, so at the moment, uh, maybe it does happen. But other countries also want the coal. You know, at the end of the day, it, it, it's coal is still coal isn't going anywhere at the moment. It will eventually. So I think there's enough competition out there from you know other emerging markets and also the world recovering generally. But yes, sure. it is the most perfect uh, trade war. Yeah. At the moment. All right. Two more questions here. Um, one is, what kind of impact would the EU proposal to require shipping to participate in the EU emissions trading scheme have on your business? You know, given that even modest bulk carriers burn around 20 tons of fuel a day under kind of full steam conditions. Um, it, it would be. And, and obviously, Director of BIMCO, we're, we're very taking this very seriously, is that we would rather lead, not, not, not let... Uh, EU kind of come up with legislation. But at the moment, it's going to be taxing the older, dirty, polluting ships. So if the, the tax is there, it's across, we would still have a better fleet than, than a lot of people. Uh, and uh, on this market, it'll be passed straight on to the charterers and the end consumer, uh, as it always should be. So it, it, it'll be part of the business. Now, as with slow steaming, do charters then differentiate between better performing ships? We, we could well see that. Um, and you could get a two or three tier market uh, and obviously slow steaming. So we're watching it because we have a modern fleet. Uh, it's, it's not a concern at the moment, it depending on how the legislation ends up. And, and if it does end up, we've all got to participate, but then, then guys with more modern green strips should actually benefit. Okay, last question here. How would you compare or describe today's business environment with the most recent bullish environment in terms of duration, demand supply, fundamentals, profitability, et cetera. Interesting, because of course the, the, the last one came out of the blue, China in, into the WTO, and we, we, we just didn't know how long it was gonna go. Now, now you look back, the, the reason it lasted so long for dry was that shipyard capacity was so low, and the shipyards were, were full of liners and, and tanker orders. And by the time the the owners of dry could order ships. It was 2007, eight for delivery 2010. We know what happens next. So this is different. The art capacity is higher, although it's a lot less than it was at the peak. Uh, I don't think we're gonna get greenfield yards sunny setting up. 
as you mentioned earlier, I mean, what kind of engine? I mean, it, there's a whole load of risk attached. So as usual with a ship, you will only know how long it lasts after the event. But, but at the moment, uh, on the basis that no new ships are coming over the next uh, couple of years at least, that's always a good sign. And, and that, that is the positive. So at the moment, it's genuinely uh, big demand led. Maybe that alters to a degree and it could then be supply constrained whereby the ships aren't there. So it's looking very, very positive. But uh, as we saw in 2003, it lasted for, well, in reality, 2011 was still a glorious year. It went on a lot longer than people thought. So, so this one, I suspect it, it could surprise people on, on the upside. And as to whether we can get to, uh, I don't know about Cape's handies at 50, 60, 70,000, but I said earlier, well, some of our handy earnings aren't far off that. So it, it's interesting. There's a genuine market out there at the moment. Hmm. Excellent. Well, hey, thank you so much again. I'm looking at your press release here. It says that um, you plan on uh, releasing earnings for the first two quarters, the week of August 16th. Is that still the case? Do we have a specific date uh, yet? Uh, hang on. I see actual date is what do we got? We got a uh, we got the board on the 18th. We'll be releasing on the 19th. Yeah. Excellent. Sounds and, good. And sorry, Randy. We, we, we're doing the quarters on the basis that we're actually retro doing quarterly reporting. So we want to do Q1, Q2, so we can get get, get the comparisons there and move forward from there. So, and as usual with, with shipping markets, I think investors are only looking forward. They're not so much looking backwards, but we want to be able to compare against our sure. peers like for like, very important for us. Yeah, sure. And first quarter results, second quarter results, maybe some third quarter yeah. guidance, quarter to date rates, all those yeah. things. So, very much well, so. All right. Well, we are two weeks away from that, so we are certainly looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so much, Martin Wade, CEO of Grinrod Shipping. Also, thank you to Capital Link uh, for setting up this webinar series. Um, and yeah, looking forward to the exciting times of dry bulk ahead. Thanks very much, Randy. Appreciate it. And you, Nicholas, at Capital Link and all the team. Much appreciated. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great Cheers. day, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.